Michelle, I always say. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We tape on Wednesdays to load in on Fridays, and I just watched the last episode of The Handmaid's Tale from season two. Oh, I haven't watched yet. Okay, I won't say anything. <laughs> but all I want to say is I think we all have to ask ourselves a question at the end of this particular episode, and that is, is vengeance yours, or is justice what should prevail? And I never thought about the difference between vengeance and justice before. And this episode is brilliant. I think the whole season was brilliant. We'll talk about it next week a little bit after you've seen the last episode. Maybe even do some spoilers. But as you go into this last episode, ask yourself that question. The two words that really stand out to me are vengeance or justice. All right. Okay. All right. Sounds deal. And then we go into the happy now, like really... In the Heights was what was picked for this week. And I'm what are you really me? Please, West Side Story meets Hamilton meets... Yeah, no, what to love. Because it's never going to be a West Side Story. Never, 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 never. What is not to love about this movie? Okay, it's not about loving the movie. It's about, does it have staying power? Because when you do something like that, like West Side Story or... Climb every mountain. Like, when you do all that kind of stuff, you better be able to, 40 years later, play. I mean, I don't think people were comparing it to West Side Story. Oh, I think a lot of people did in the, in the reviews I read. I mean, I think it's an updated West Side Story, sure. And we talked about this before, that, like, I don't understand why they're remaking West Side Story if you're not going to update the story. What's the point? Well, it's funny because I thought of you saying that a couple of episodes of our, of our podcast ago, and I thought, well, this is a perfect example of somebody that did it. But anyway, West Side Story meets Hamilton's beat. That rhythm that he had in Hamilton, I was disappointed to know he used the same rhythm. Well, this was first. I know, but I didn't realize that Hamilton's rhythm came out of also... I mean, it's not the same. This is, like, far more Latin-supported. No, definitely. You know, some of the dance scenes are, etc. But anyway, it's Lynn Miranda's In the Heights, the $53 million musical dropped into HBO a week ago, and it's partially interesting, partially autobiographical. The story takes place in New York City's Washington Heights, although Miranda actually grew up in Inwood, but we won't argue with that. Okay. And there's a love story, definitely a love story. Of course. A Stanford student, which I thought was interesting, played by Love's a Neighborhood Guy, and the city blocks covered are vibrant, and, and they, I mean, they represent the colorful culture of the Latino community, no question about that. And the other thing that was amazing is I lived for 30 years on the west side in the San Remo, okay, which is a very fancy building, and there was one other apartment on our floor, and the princess, somebody or other, from Yugoslavia lived there. I never once saw her in 30 years. Sounds about right. So when I, when I think of the camaraderie of a block neighborhood, I, you know, it really, it's just very wonderful. The community, it's about family, it's about community, and it's about dreams, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I think it's a universal story. You know, I think you go back four generations, this is my family, in the Jewish section of New York, right? And every block was different, you know, and I think this is this generation. And I... I loved it. I don't care what you say. I don't know what you I did. I did not love it. I just am not sure that it, you know, I was surprised it had a 93% in Rotten Tomatoes. I really was because I felt like 
I don't know, it just seems like that's such a male patriarchal driven percentage, and I was surprised that it would have that sort of strength around it. But there's a big hubbub going on. Did you see that Miranda made a big apology yesterday? Yeah. I think, I think the community was right to call him out for not representing Afro-Latinx experiences, and I think he was right to apologize, but I think also maybe that wasn't his experience in his neighborhood, and that's what this is about. And was it Rita Moreno or came out and said, you know, you can't do anything right this <laughs> Well, they just said that, but here's what he said. He said, I started writing in the Heights because I didn't feel seen. Yeah. And over the past 20 years, all I wanted was for us, all of us, to feel seen. I'm seeing the discussion around Afro-Latino representation in our film this weekend, and it is clear that many in our dark-skinned Afro-Latino community don't feel sufficiently represented within it, particularly among the leading roles. I can hear the hurt and frustration over colorism, a feeling unseen in the feedback. And then he said, I'm learning from the feedback. I thank you for raising it, and I'm listening. I'm trying to hold space for both the incredible pride in the movie we have and to be accountable for our shortcomings. Thank you for your honest feedback. I promise to do better in my future projects. And it goes on a little bit longer. But I actually thought that was a good example of how to listen to somebody else's point of view. And when I went back, I had watched it before I had heard about this hubbub. And when I went back and looked at it, I thought, they really, it is very interesting. And when they delved into it a little deeper, the studio felt that unless it was Jennifer Lopez, they were going to lose money on this. So they're the ones who push to not have true representation from a darker community in it. I, I mean, I, I can say that. I can understand that. But also, I think in general, there's a very long and diverse history in the Afro-Latinx community. And that's across the board. So when you're looking at the makeup of mm-hmm. the community and the dance sequences, you know, there's, you're not seeing black actors in there. Except for Benny. Right. And Corey Hawkins is great, by the way. So I, I think I think it's less about the main characters, for me at least, and I'm not from this community, so I take this with a grain of salt, but it's less about the main characters and more about the whole ensemble, that you're not seeing representation across the board of every background in all of those dance sequences you're not seeing. I mean, there were, there were definitely... Some black dancers, like in the pool, in the in the ballet scenes, which I thought were gorgeous. But yeah, there's not enough representation, which is interesting from a very inclusive type of movie. Well, especially he's an inclusive kind of guy. Yeah, and he's also very, he's also very sensitive to people's feelings. So yeah. I thought his statement was strong, and I thought it was good. And again, I think what he's saying is, look, I'll learn and I'll do better. But there were people of color, in, and they at first they came back and said there are people of color in the dancing sequences. And people are like, they don't have one line in the entire movie. Sure. And all, you know, and all the romance, everything else, you know, they could be white. It's just not strong enough. So, I don't know. I get it, and I think it's interesting. And I think this is a moment in time when this is always going to come up now in a stronger way in that people are going to start casting people who actually have lived the lives of the people they're playing so that they can maybe even do better. Who knows, you know? I don't know. I I think this is an incredibly inclusive film. I think half of this film is in Spanish, you know? And I, I, I agree that there needs to be more representation across the board, absolutely. But, like, I don't know. How do you do better than Anthony Ramos in this movie? I don't know, but I know that 
I, being as white as I am, I'm not sure I can understand what they were hoping for when they heard this movie was going to be done, you know, that they were hoping to be able to see a mirror of themselves, and so many of them couldn't find that mirror. So, and they want their kids to have that mirror, and it wasn't there. So, I, you know, I don't know that there were necessarily the right people to quote, should we judge this, but at the same time, the storyline, I you know, especially I love the way it leads up to the blackout. You know, yeah. I mean, Lynn Miranda isn't he a great writer? God, he's good. He's a great writer, um, and he's very musically talented. It's um, he does a, a wonderful job of paying homage to those who came before him. Um, I don't know if you and we should review this when it comes out, but he's directing Tick Tick Boom, which was Jonathan Larson's first musical, uh-huh. and he's a massive fan of Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson wrote Rent. And if you are a theater geek like I am, you can find all of the call-outs to rent in this musical. There's some vocal slides. There's some accompaniment that's like a, a nice little homage to rent. The, the character named Benny is a yeah, direct call-out to rent. But there's also some nice little uh, Easter eggs for those of you who are Hamilton fans. If you pay close attention, you'll find a couple of musical interludes and a couple of cameos in here that'll scratch your Hamilton itch. Yeah, well, yeah, by the way, I mean, I, I felt Hamilton through the whole thing. I did. And it's I mean, it's Hamilton. It's pre-Hamilton. It's the warm-up to Hamilton. Yeah. Well, it was sort of like the kindergarten entry into Hamilton. You know, I always said that every other play on Broadway is like high school, and then Hamilton is graduate school. Like, you know, it's that much Yeah. yeah. It's funny, because uh, when I uh, uh, keep uh, being Evan Hansen. Ah, right, right, right. When, when that won the Tony the year after Hamilton, I was like, oh, you are so lucky that you didn't open the same year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, how many times has that happened where there's been a couple of really great plays or whatever, and it's like you don't have a shot? So. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> not your year. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because they bought this. Uh, I remember reading the deal for this movie, they, I think they paid like $50 million just for the rights for this movie. Well, I know that there was $53 million on land, so I, don't, I think it couldn't have been that much. I, it, was, it was a lot. They paid a lot for this movie, and I was surprised because the musical didn't really do very well until after Hamilton came out and yeah. was, was the smash success. And I was like, okay, well, this is a ploy to be in the Lin-Manuel Miranda business, right, which right. I understand. Like, sometimes they do movies for that. Right. When they did the sale, I hadn't seen the show, but I had seen the show since then, and I, I had a blast. We saw it at a theater in the round in Sacramento. It was a touring company, and it's just a fun, it's a very fun show. I didn't find it incredibly emotional when I saw it on the stage. I, I was emotional watching it. I read a couple reviews, and one, one man said, that he started crying at the beginning and he didn't stop till the end. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was. If you go to West Side Story, for example, the conversation, the dialogue in between numbers is so strong. It's as strong as the numbers. And I felt like there was so little conversation. Everything was sung. They're different musicals. Yeah, which, oh, exactly, but it, which is the style, but I don't think it works as well. I think you need to establish... Some realism in the film. Yeah, I do. I, I think yeah. the film doesn't quite work as well. I agree. And I think and normally I don't like to listen to the music for a show before I go to see it because I like to live the story as it's being told to me. 
I knew I couldn't do that for Hamilton and understand what the hell was going on when I watched the show. And it took me a while to get used to the style of Hamilton because it's so different as a musical fan to listen to that and, A, understand what the hell anybody's saying because it's so fast, but also be able to track the story. It's very difficult to keep up. If it's the first time you're seeing it on the stage, you're going to miss half the show because you just don't understand what people are saying to you because it's, it's moving so quickly. And that's the same for In the Heights. That's true. And not only that, what's interesting around that to me is when I was watching Hamilton, what I realized is, you know, I'm an ADD girl, so my mind will always go somewhere along the way in a two-hour period of what's in front of me. And what I realized with Hamilton, you can't, you can't catch up. No. So you could not, you couldn't look away for even a second in Hamilton and catch up. And so... So you had to see it more than once. And it reminds me of Sorkin. You know, Sorkin does that bam, 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 bam yeah. kind of dialogue also. And Manuel does it with his music. So yeah. I think it's interesting. And I just think it shows the brilliance of their minds that they can keep up, but not yeah. that it's someone else, you know. So Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because I think one of the first musicals that really took this to the brink with Lumens. Yeah. That... There's no dialogue. There's no book. It is all sung. The whole show is sung. Well, I think Chicago also. No, Chicago has dialogue in it. Does it? I yeah. remember that. Huh. But, and, and the adaptation. Yeah, but Avita, Avita doesn't have any dialogue, and that was before Les Mis. Okay. I agree. I don't think it works. I think you need that dialogue to set up realism in a film. I think it's different, you know? I agree, and I think... His style emulates Jonathan Larson's, where rent, everything is sung in rent. There's no, there's no interlude dialogue. There's no conversation. Everything is done through song. And there's a magic in that when it's on the stage. And there's a lack of focus when you're seeing it on the screen. I think you can take some of those songs and turn them into a scene of dialogue. You can take some of those songs and make it more of a neighborhood conversation rather than necessarily singing every single word of the show. I couldn't agree more. But also, Christopher Scott is the choreographer in In the Heights. Yeah, Oh, my God. I think every number explodes with the kind of physicality yeah. and perfection of unison, but with disunity. I mean, the whole thing is like, yes, you had me in hello. He's so, yeah. so good at this. So good at this. It's a blast to watch. It is long. I will tell you, they, I mean, they did the whole show, and I was actually surprised by that, because normally when you're doing a, a musical adaptation, like, there are a couple of songs that don't make the cut. I think they did everything. And it's gorgeous. It's so much fun. There's so much color. There's so many levels. The filmmaking is, I, it's the same guy who did Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. And that movie felt like a musical, but wasn't. And so I think it's John Chu's natural progression is to do this, but... I thought he did an incredible job. The song between Benny and Nina when she's going back to school, there's a magical realism aspect that they pulled into it that is reminiscent of Brigadoon, of Singing in the Rain, of all of these beautiful old 1950s century ballets that I did not expect at all. And I was just awed by how beautiful it was. And that was when I, I was like, oh, he's a hell of a filmmaker. He knows exactly what he's doing. Well, yeah. yeah every absolutely. opportunity to lean into the magic of this But show. also, and he let the choreographer do, and he let Christopher Scott do his job, but 
Annie Goldsmith in Town and Country, she did an interview. She was talking about the musical number 96,000, which is around the pool. Yeah. It's one of the most complex scenes in the movie, which for sure. Yeah. Asked him, what was your strategy there? And here's what Christopher said. There were a lot of challenges in this movie because it's such a massive undertaking and there's so much music. There's so much detail to fill in. But that number was by far the most challenging. One, just the scale of the pool. We had never seen a pool that big. So then there was a moment when we were thinking, can we even pull this off? Because we can't shoot in a pool and have it look empty. We need thousands of people to fill this up. And in the movie, it looks like the hottest day of the year, but it was freezing in that pool. Which is, <laughs> uh, it's right out of Dirty Dancing, where they yeah. had to spray paint the leaves green because it was fall. It was so late that they were held back. <laughs> so temperature-wise, we had a challenge. There was a moment when the dancers had to get out of the pool, and some of them said, we can keep going, and others said, I can't keep going. You have to listen to those dancers. He said it was the most challenging thing he did was that particular number. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure. It's so complicated. and. The cinematography in that number is incredible. Uh, It's very easy to shoot a dance scene poorly. Yeah. And they don't do that at all in this movie. I I don't know if anybody's seen Phantom of the Opera. Go check that out if you want to see an example of what I'm talking about. But this does it beautifully. You feel a part of the number. You feel like you're getting to see the big spectacle that is the number of being in the pool, but you also get to see a lot of the detail of what the dancers are doing and you get to go under the water with them as well, which is like, that's the beauty of being in a movie versus being on stage. Right. I had a blast all the way through. My only critique is some of the singers. Uh, yeah, well, I, I agree. But, but also, I also think, while this won't be the sound of music in 40 years, it really, really nails the culture, and it makes it exciting, and you wish you were a part of it, and all kinds of things around that. And Lin-Manuel Miranda cannot be, he just can't be congratulated anymore. I mean, he's just too good. It's like, all you can do is say thank you to this man. He does so much for his own community. Yeah. He took Hamilton down at his own expense to Puerto Rico to raise money. And not only that, he actually played the lead role because he knew that people would give more money if he did, and he had to go run it all over again. I mean, the man does his homework, puts in his time, and is a genius. So I'm all in. All in. Yeah, he's great. I will say Olga Meredes, who plays Abuela Claudia, breaks my heart in this movie. She's she's an incredible vocalist, for one. And she really, you know, I, I lost my grandmother less than a year ago, and we were very close. And so her storyline really struck me. And the relationship she has with the whole community, the, you know, that she did, she couldn't have kids, and so she adopts the whole block. It's just, it's so beautiful. It makes you want to be a part of that world. All of it says, watch it, save it, because 20 years from now, people will still be playing it. And also, yeah. I wish I was part of a community like that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think about the generations past. That's why I think this is such, I, well, yes, it's a, Latinx story. It's a universal story. This is the the immigration story. And anyone who's here, anyone who's in America listening to this, your family has a tie to this somehow, right? You came here from somewhere else, unless you're Native American, in which case, apologies for literally everything. (laughs) We we as as a nation are made up of immigrants. We have all lived this story at one time or another, whether it was you or your ancestor. And I think that's 
why it transcends. It's why we all want to be a part of this community because we all came from a community like this. We all did at some point in our lives. So take your family, go see it. I'm so glad you suggested it, Wilder. I mean, it was right. It was, no, it was really worth watching. Again, I, I think there were some, a few problems with it, but overall, I watched again, and you have to watch it more than once because you missed so much the first time. Yeah, I agree. And if you had, I, I'm not yet comfortable going to see it in the theater because I'm a chicken, but if I had the opportunity, if I was comfortable, this is one I would spend money exactly. on to go see in a theater. I know it didn't open to great numbers, both in the theater and on HBO Max, can't recommend it enough. You will have a blast. It will have you off your couch, dancing in your living room. Like, you will have so much fun watching this. I promise you will not be disappointed. We're all over it. Okay. <laughs> Next week, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.